This is a podcast from the Irish to the rescue, the tercentenary of the Polish princess Clementina's escape. This seminar was organized on the occasion of the tercentenary of the rescue of the Polish princess Maria Clementina Sobieska from captivity in Innsbruck in April 1719 by a small group of Irish and French people in a most dramatic fashion. The event took place in Europe House in Dublin on the 30th of April 2019 and was generously sponsored by the Embassy of the Republic of Poland in Dublin, the Embassy of France in Ireland, the Alliance Française Dublin, Rathmines College of Further Education, the Technological University of Dublin and Dublin City Council. In this episode, a recording of a paper by Dr Declan Downey from University College Dublin. His paper was entitled The Habsburg-Hanoverian Alliance and its Perspective on the Stuart-Sobieska Match. Excellencies, distinguished guests, ladies and gentlemen. Thus far you have heard about the heroes and the heroines in this great dramatic historic episode in Irish and European history. And so it falls to me to speak to you about the villains in this drama, George I and the Emperor Charles VI. Now, British historians, and especially those in the Anglophone historiography in general, have tended to give all the credit for Maria Clementina's detention to William Stanhope's efforts. Indeed, they generally allege that Charles VI had suffered from moral scruples about his intervention in the proxy marriage, and that Stanhope had put him straight. Now, this is typical, as I said, of a particular style of Anglo-centric Whiggishness that has passed for historiographical analysis. But as we shall see, Charles, number one, was determined not to have a Stuart enemy married into his family circle. And number two, he was determined not to endanger his valuable and strategic alliance with the maritime powers, Britain and the Dutch Republic, and by extension, Hanover. So... Let us go back in time to understand the context of Charles's position. The context for Charles's intervention and detention of Clementina Sobieska. In this regard, we go back to the period of the mid 17th century. Following the Peace of Westphalia in 1648 and during the War of the League of Augsburg from 1688 to 1697, the North German Duchy of Braunschweig-Lüneburg and its component principalities of Kahlenberg, Göttingen and Wolfenbüttel was raised by the Emperor Leopold I to the dignity of the Electoral College of the Holy Roman Empire as the Kurfürstenstum zu Braunschweig und Lüneburg, abbreviated as Kur Hanover, after its capital city in 1692. 
And this was a special reward and mark of personal favor by the Emperor Leopold I for his good friend and loyal ally, Ernst August, for his services against the French and Ottoman invasions of the empire and of the Habsburg hereditary lands. Ernst August was married to Sophia Dorothea, the daughter of Frederick V of the Palatinate and Elizabeth Stuart, the daughter of James VI of Scotland and I of England and Ireland. Ernst August's son succeeded as Prince Elector of Hanover in 1698, and later George succeeded Queen Anne to the British and Irish thrones in 1714, and thereby Britain and Hanover were reigned over in the personal union of the Hanoverian succession until the Franco-Prussian invasion of 1803, after Napoleon had forced the abolition of the empire in 1806, Hanover was incorporated into his invented Kingdom of Westphalia in 1807. Now, during the War of the Spanish Succession, George gave steady and loyal service to the Habsburg dynasty, and Emperor Joseph I appointed him Field Marshal in 1706, and George commanded the Imperial Army on the Rhine in collaboration with his general commander and military mentor, Prince Eugen, or more commonly known as Prince Eugene of Savoy, and the commander of the Allied forces, John Churchill, the first Duke of Marlborough. Later, in 1711, George was appointed Arch-Treasurer of the Empire. So George's close friendship with the Habsburg monarchy was further augmented by the marriage of his cousins, Wilhelmina Amalia was married to the Emperor Joseph I, and her sister Elizabeth Christine von Braunschweig-Wolfenbüttel-Lüneburg was married to Joseph's brother and successor, Charles VI. Also, it might be noted here that George's mother, Sophia Dorothea of the Palatinate, was a cousin of the mother of both emperors, Eleonora Magdalena von Neuburg-Falz, the Empress Consort of Leopold I. So I hope I haven't confused you too much with the genealogies here, but it's very important. You cannot beat the ties of blood. So close family ties, as well as that tradition of loyalty and patronage, linked both the Emperor Charles VI and George I. Emperor Charles VI was the second son of Leopold I and Eleonora of Magdalena von Neuburg-Falz. And he succeeded his elder brother, Emperor Joseph, who, dis who died in 1711. But he was born in 1685, three years before the so-called Glorious Revolution that brought the Prince Stadtholder of the Dutch Republic William of Orange Nassau, to the throne of England. And he would succeed, of course, in consolidating his grip on the English, the Scottish and Irish thrones following that other episode in the War of the League of Augsburg, which we know as the War of the Two Kings, William and James, 1691 
following the Articles of Limerick being signed and the departure of Sarsfield and the wild geese to France, William consolidated his position as king in Britain and Ireland. So Charles grew up in that theatre of warfare that convulsed Europe, the war of the Austrian succession. And that war, of course, would succeed in another war, or would be followed by another war, along with his contemporary, George of Hanover, both would be caught up in the war of the Spanish succession from 1701 to 1714. Now, Charles, as Archduke of Austria, in his early 20s, challenged the French claimant to the Spanish throne, Philippe d'Anjou, the future King Philip V of Spain, on the death of the last Habsburg King of Spain, Charles II. And between 1705 and 1711, Charles actually ruled in Catalonia and along the eastern coast of Spain. And then in 1711, on the death of his brother Joseph, Charles returned to Vienna to succeed as Holy Roman Emperor. Now, as I said, that war of the Spanish succession could be regarded as a continuation of the earlier war of the League of Augsburg, also called that Nine Years' War between 1688 and 1697. In both wars, the Holy Roman Empire, led by Austria, the Dutch Republic and Britain, Denmark, and the Papal States, ladies and gentlemen, were allied against what they regarded as the expansionism of France under the absolutist monarch Louis XIV. Now, the Treaty of Reiswijk in 1697 had ended the War of the League of Augsburg in which the war between James II and William III in Ireland and the Second Turkish Siege of Vienna of 1683 had been major parts. And I apologize there of the typo on the screen. It is 1683, 12th of September. The Austrian Imperial and Anglo-Dutch alliance held the balance of power in Europe against France and her protégés, the exiled Stuart monarchy of James II and James III. And within four years, that alliance swung swiftly into action again to prevent the possible union of Spain with France and their overseas possessions into one Bourbon superpower in the War of the Spanish Succession. So the Archduke Charles of Austria, uh, supported by Hanover, Britain, the Dutch Republic, the Holy Roman Empire, he was the claimant, the Habsburg claimant of the Spanish throne and was opposed by France and their Stuart protégés. In 1708, you had the attempted Stuart reclamation of Scotland, first attempt. But by 1713, the war came to a conclusion, partly through the fact that the uh, English uh, ministers who led Queen Anne's government, Harley and Bolingbroke, that Tory administration essentially wanted peace with France to end the heavy expenditure on the British treasury, 
but also they wanted a renewal of Anglo-French trade. Now, with that in mind, Britain engineered the Treaty of Utrecht on the 11th of April 1713 and concluded peace with France and Spain and left Austria out in the lurch. And indeed, their Dutch allies were not too happy either with this manoeuvre. It left a very bad taste in The Hague and in Vienna, and it would not be until the accession of George I and his dismissal of Harley and Bolingbroke, his replacement of them with William Stanhope as Secretary of State, that the links between Vienna and London were repaired and renewed. So this is weighing heavily. The emperor needed Britain just as much as Britain needed the emperor in terms of the emerging power balance in Europe. The Treaty of Rastatt of the 7th of March 1714 concluded war between France and Austria and the Treaty of Baden on the 7th of September concluded war between France and the Holy Roman Empire itself. However, between 1714 and 1717, Spain had recovered swiftly from the war thanks to the political, administrative and economic reforms under its Secretary of State, Giulio Cardinal Alberoni. These are just images of George as Elector of Hanover and King of Great Britain uh, following his accession. And there is the Philippe d'Orléans, the Regent of France, as Louis XIV had died, and the young Louis XV was still a minor. So it's important to note here that the regent, Philippe d'Orléans, uh, was anxious to remove the Stuarts from France. He didn't like them. He was anxious for peace, for the renewal of trade as well. And also Alberoni here was also anxious for a renewal of Spanish power in the Mediterranean. So the, the, the international situation is something we have to bear in mind here. There's a shifting change, and it's all about the balance of power between the Bourbon bloc of France and Spain and the rest of Europe. And these are concerns in Vienna, in The Hague, and in London. In late 1716... Philippe d'Orléans, as regent of France, uh, through his personal chaplain, the Abbé Guillaume Dubois, later cardinal, and Dubois's old friend William Stanhope, formed the Anglo-French alliance to contain Philip V's ambitions as well as those of James III. And this pact later developed into the Quadruple Alliance. with the Austrian-led Holy Roman Empire and the Dutch Republic. So by 1717, Spain had felt secure enough and emboldened to repudiate the Treaty of Utrecht, recapture Sardinia from Savoy, and by July 1718, Sicily from Austria and Savoy. The Dutch and the French at this stage were too financially weak to intervene. Austria, meanwhile, was preoccupied with war against the Austrian Turks between 1716 and 1718, and so it fell to Britain 
to send a naval squadron under the command of Sir George Byng to counter the Bourbon Spanish aggression in the Mediterranean. And so here we have uh, Stanhope and Dubois, Dubois in his cardinal robes there, having succeeded in bringing about this Anglo-French alliance, and also in engineering the quadruple alliance, including Austria and the Dutch Republic. So the British under Stanhope were also operating on another level, for by the 21st of July 1718, they had negotiated the end of the Austro-Turkish War with the Treaty of Pasarowitz, and this was negotiated in such a way that Austria gained highly favourable terms. So by the 11th of August 1718, Bing's fleet defeated the Spanish at the Battle of Cape Passaro, and you also had, of course, the discovery of the Celamare plot against the French regent, and this saw Al Baroni and his agents expelled from France and a formal declaration of war by France on Spain. So the Bourbon bloc was split. And also, Austria could now reconcentrate her energies on countering the Bourbon Spanish in the Mediterranean. And so here we have uh, two images of uh, John Churchill, the Duke of Marlborough, and his allied commander, Prince Eugene of Savoy. These are very important individuals, uh, as I said, to, to bear in mind here. They are the ones who are in charge of the allied forces uh, in the situation. So by 1719, you have this... Uh, uh, Second Duke of Ormond, James Butler, with Alberoni's help, he had organised a naval expedition to Scotland in support of James III, but it was aborted by storms off Galicia. However, a small force of 300 Spanish marines joined with the Highlanders under George Keith, the Earl Marshal of Scotland, at the Battle of Ilan-Donan in May. They were defeated, and again in June, they were defeated at the Battle of Glenshiel. So it is in this context and period that Charles VI agreed with his ally George I's request to detain Maria Clementina Sobieska in order to thwart the prospects of the Stuart claimant from obtaining her immense wealth as well as the prestige of her familial connections in order to advance his cause against the Hanoverian succession in Britain and Ireland. So... Looking at Vienna itself at this stage, the Irish in Vienna, in the Viennese imperial court, they had been there since the middle of the 17th century. We're talking of people like the Wallis von Karigmines or the Walsh of Karigmines family, or the Hamiltons, or indeed the Browns and the O'Kellys of Ockram. These families, along with the Tafts, had been in the Austrian imperial service since 1635-1636, during the height of the Thirty Years' War. None of them supported the Stuarts. Prince Eugene's Irish protégés were Franz Wenzel Walisch von Karigmain, Nicholas Taffer, 5th Earl of Carlingford, 
the Field Marshal Maximilian Ulysses von Braun, whose father had served James II in Ireland, went into the French service, but like so many Irish, they found that they didn't like 40% of their pay packet being deducted to support the Stuart Court in exile. Also, they found that promotion in uh, the uh, Jacobite army in France tended to favour more the Scottish rather than the English or the Irish. And furthermore, they found better prospects for promotion and for career advancement and for general prosperity in Austria, which was an ally of Britain. And therefore, as officers of an allied power, they could easily come to and fro to Ireland, which they did, to look after their families and friends and their retainers, etc. So it, this is an aspect of history that's forcing us to re-evaluate and revise the idea of Ireland under the penal laws in the 18th century. And indeed, when we look at the attempts by the Jacobite uh, court in exile to engage diplomatically with the imperial court. First, they thought of approaching the imperial court through Owen O'Rourke, who was Grand Chamberlain to Leopold, Duke of Lorraine. He was approached by James III between May and June of 1716 to be his representative in Vienna. But O'Rourke and Leopold considered it neither an auspicious nor an appropriate time. Now, given in what I have discussed earlier about the wider European conflicts and the balance of power politics in Europe, one has to ask the question, did the Jacobites in exile, and particularly the court in exile, did it really have any serious idea how to conduct international affairs? Did it have any serious appreciation of the realities of the realpolitik of European power politics at that time? And so O'Rourke declined. John Walkingshaw, a Scotsman, was appointed instead on the 6th of November, 1716. He arrived in January of 1717. But he doesn't seem to have had much impact in Vienna either. He was succeeded by Philip Wharton, the first Duke of Wharton, appointed by James in 1725. None of these Jacobite representatives who were styled ambassadors by James III they were not received as ambassadors at the imperial court. Instead, they were received as mere envoys, and they were received with exquisite courtesies by Prince Eugene of Savoy and the Chancellor, Count Philip Ludwig von Sinzendorf. Likewise, they were treated kindly, but not enthusiastically, by the Irish emigre nobility in the imperial service. And so, ladies and gentlemen, I hope that in this exposition to have given you some sense of the perspectives of the Emperor Charles VI and uh, on the uh, match between Maria Clementina Sobieska and James III, the Stuart claimant. It was decided very much by the power politics of the age uh, rather than by personal scruples. So on that point, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much.
Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Irish to the Rescue, the tercentenary of the Polish Princess Clementina's escape. If you would like to listen back to more podcasts from the seminar, please go to historyhub.ie forward slash podcasts.